Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged. It's Tuesday the 23rd of April 2019. William Shakespeare would have been 455 today and talking of great writers, Mark Pender, no doubt <laughs> quill in hand, is poised stateside. Hey. And I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. Now, the Swiss Central Bank must be a little happier now that the Swiss franc has lost best part of 3% now of its value against the euro this month. That's its steepest fall since July 2017 and a sign that investor appetite for safe haven instruments is on the wane. However, if this shift to risk on is to continue, the economic data, particularly out of China and the US, will probably have to at least live up to expectations. So while Good Friday has been and gone, this Friday we get our first look at first quarter US GDP. But will it be good news for the US economy? Mr. Pender, over to you. It will probably definitely be good news um, if, at least at the headline level, um, and uh, it may be getting a boost from inventory growth. Whether or not that's um, a, a plus is uncertain. But uh, exports uh, look to have been uh, improved sharply uh, this quarter, even though we only have uh, two of the months in. Uh, March is still out. Um, and so there could be revisions to that. I think that the consumer um, piece to this puzzle, however, is a little bit unknown. Um, the economy consensus for this is 1.1% uh, annual growth, which is uh, down, which would be down from 2.5% uh, in the fourth quarter, which was a surprise given how weak December retail sales were. Um, so uh, that I think is a wild card for the report. And again, uh, uh, um, we'll see how the consumer is doing. Um, residential investment looked to be very weak. Uh, once again, all four quarters last year, resi residential investment was down in the housing sector. That was really the, the definitive uh, measuring uh, stick for how weak housing was last year. But we had mortgage rates really coming down sharply from the 4.7, 4.6 level to the 4.2, 4.3 level uh, so far this year. And it really showed in today's new home sales report, uh, which uh, easily exceeded expectations. And together with uh, the existing home sales report on yesterday, Monday, um, which came down on uh, in March, but it followed a gigantic uh, surge in February. So putting all the, these housing things together, mortgage rates really do have a very strong effect on demand Actually, for housing. Quick question on your housing market, if I can. Uh -huh. Certainly, sure. If you look at the UK, there's, um, our home ownership is you know, a pretty big big issue as far as uh, UK consumers concerned. And so there tends to be a pretty strong correlation between what's going on in the housing market and you know the overall level of uh, consumer spending. Is that true your side as well? Yes. Uh, housing is a deceptively uh, important. Uh, it's not really that deceptive. It, it's almost invisible in, in, in recent Federal Reserve uh, uh, discussions. They don't really point to it in, in their statements uh, directly. And it's very much of a, a side issue. It's a little bit mysterious to me. But um, home prices are a very important source of, uh, of wealth. And uh, here, uh, appreciation has uh, definitely been slowing. We also had the FHFA um, price index come out today, and uh, it was uh, well below all expectations. Uh, 
year-on-year growth now is uh, in the 5% area. This is down from 7%. It's still growing, so it's still positive. But this is the weakest appreciation in uh, four years. And Case-Shiller, which is another report that will be updated next week, it, they're at a six-and-a-half-year low uh, in appreciation. So um, this is, a, uh, a, a you know, a... a uh, it's not really a negative. It's just a, a diminishing positive for um, the you know consumer wherewithal. Um, but now I want to get back to your Swiss franc thing, and we you know we've been talking about the global economic slowdown. And uh, yesterday or uh, Monday we had uh, from the um, from China we had uh, the Politburo over the weekend was. Uh, um, uh, it was talking about structural deleveraging. So, and this this is a sign that maybe they're not going to need to stimulate the economy as much as uh, they thought. And um, and we see this uh, in a Swiss franc. We haven't really seen it very much in U.S. Treasuries. Uh, the yields have come up a little bit, but it hasn't been a you know a gigantic signal that safe haven demand is is down. Um, but that's interesting that you picked out the franc. Any any other um, thoughts on that? Any other signals well so i mean the frank i guess when you're looking for some you know, sort of safe haven um investment instruments uh, across europe the swissy tends to stand head and shoulders above everything else certainly as far as the currency market's concerned anyway and we know that the, the national bank has been particularly concerned about the strength of its currency because inflation is so low in switzerland and it's desperately trying to get it back up towards the two percent mark a weaker currency is clearly one of those factors which could help to propel import prices and hence ultimately consumer prices as well. But more generally, I think you know, at a time when we still have very sluggish Eurozone growth, uh, the flash PMIs we had out for April last week were again very disappointing and really are hinting at no pickup in uh, economic momentum, at least at the start of the second quarter. So in contrast to the US where bar and large, as you know, you've talked about in previous weeks, uh, growth is still doing okay. In Europe, it remains sluggish. And yet we've seen uh, you know, bond yields starting to move up a little bit um, as far as the um, the, the safe haven currencies like Swiss franc and in particular the German Bund market, which I suppose from the bond side is is, is the number one investment uh, safe haven investment vehicle. Um, and the, you know, the, the the more peripheral currencies such as you know, Italy, uh, Greece, uh, particularly the Portuguese bond market as well, they've been outperforming. So I think, you know, but you can't take this too far by any means. But I think, you know, just looking at the overall constellation of the way asset prices have been moving in Europe over the course of the last week or so, there does appear to have been some sort of shift away from you know growing concerns that oh look the global economy is really slowing down now the weaker economy is going to be hit really badly the more peripheral currencies could struggle you know that has certainly been tempered it may not be completely gone but it certainly seemed to be tempered to some extent well now, i think you're talking point, oh, i'm sorry but we were talking about italy now being on the on the cusp or, or in technical recession how are they doing now they're having an election coming up and and i was kind of surprised to hear that uh, their demand for their bonds is improving well, Italy is doing a little bit better at the moment. As you mentioned, a technical recession arrived at the back end of last year. We don't obviously we don't have first quarter GDP out of Italy yet. We weren't for a little while. They tend to be you have national accounts um, in Europe tend to be somewhat lagging compared to uh, what what you have on your side. But the early indications are that probably first quarter is going to see I suspect a return to positive growth, but it's only going to be very minor. Um, in terms of sort of the big elections over here, we've got the Spanish elections taking place on Sunday. Oh, that's right, um, Spain, yes. 
Yeah, so that's um, it's, it's politically it's still very unstable over there. You know, the Catalan issue hasn't really been fully resolved. Um, this is going to be uh, yet another election as far as Spain is concerned. It seems to be one almost every year now. This is going to be their third election in the last four years. And to be honest, it's a big unknown what's going to happen there. I think in terms of the euro, and we're talking at the moment what a strong dollar environment and a fairly weak euro one, what investors will be concerned about will be you know, just how well the far right box, that's VOX party performs. Um, this particular grouping has done particularly well over the course of the last few months in the opinion polls. Some are suggesting they could get as much as 10% of the votes now. And were that to be the case, they could potentially be part of you know, the new incoming government. And of course, more broadly, the concern is that yeah, there is still this tendency towards you know, populism or nationalism, call it what you will, across Europe. And with these key European parliamentary elections taking place uh, towards the back end of May, you know, what we see coming out of Spain could be regarded as a litmus test of what we're going to see there. And um, any kind of shift in that direction for the European Parliament as a whole, that would certainly be a negative as far as the euro goes. And how is German manufacturing doing now? German manufacturing is, I, I guess, really one of the, the biggest sort of thorns in the side of the ECB. I just mentioned that the uh, you know, the flash April PMIs we had out from the Eurozone last week. Well, it came in just in terms of the numbers, the overall Eurozone Composite Output Index, so the, you know, the proxy for overall GDP. That was just 51.3. So on the right side of 50, but not by much, and it was down from last time. But within that is only the growth was really only due to services which was 52.5. Manufacturing PMI, or the flash PMI for the Eurozone, was 48.1. So below 50. And why is it so weak? Well, it's really down to Germany. The German index was just 44.5. So really in recession territory still. So although there have been some, you know, the odd month where German industry looks to have done okay, the underlying trends, and I think we touched on last week, you know, the, the forward-looking indicators like mm -hmm. business confidence in the year ahead and orders, they're still going the wrong way. Yeah, a 44 reading on a diffusion index with 50 being neutral is a very uh, weak reading. But, you know, we, we've seen that in Europe and we've seen that here in the PMIs, which uh, bring out services. The, the bulk of uh, economic data statistically is uh, manufacturing. But we have these services reports. And here in the U.S., we really only have a couple of them, the ISM non-manufacturing and market economics uh, mm -hmm. PMI services. Um, the latest one from uh, market uh, showed, you know, it was the same kind of thing going on here that there was a shift, you know, what manufacturing was losing because of a downturn in global trade services were making up for. We saw that unravel in the latest sample for April, at least just one month from one sample. But um, that was an interesting uh, shift. Now, how long can a service economy, a domestic demand make up for a loss in a growth on the manufacturing side was a question is and i guess it still is a question uh, and it's an interesting uh, I think it's is a this an interesting free is this an it's a very pertinent question i think yeah, because I think certainly, I mean, it's, the thing about Germany is that compared to pretty well the rest of Europe, its manufacturing base is still hugely important to how the overall economy itself performs. And with the, and for Germany, just going back to their numbers, these PMI numbers, we talked about 44.5 on the manufacturing index. 
uh, well, the services side that actually improved a little bit. That went up from 55.4 in March to 55.6. So again, okay, it's not a big increase, but in terms of you know 55.6 reading suggests we had decent economic momentum taking place in German services. But I think you know, it's hard to believe that we can see services continue to grow at that kind of rate at a time when you know, the core of the economy, the manufacturing base in Germany, still appears to be shrinking. So it's, it's got to be something I should look at. It's yeah. Conceptually, it's very interesting because you know we've had Brexit and we've had the Trump administration. We've had this protectionism. And, re- and you know, it's not sold the idea that it's, it's going to uh, lower uh, uh, you know, aggregate demand. It's going to lower uh, uh, economic growth. That, that's not you know, uh, one of the arguments. That's w- what one of the risks could be. But if, if for somehow, if you could just – if it somehow stimulates domestic uh, demand – that somehow could make up for it. I don't know. This, of course, goes against the whole idea for generations of economics and and cross-border agreements and those kinds of things that are supposed to raise everybody's, uh, you know, um, the tide and all that stuff. Uh, but uh, but maybe this is going to be playing out in some kind of conceptual uh, um, uh, development. Maybe. And certainly, I think you know, people tend to, when they're looking at exports more often than not, they're looking at you know, just exports of goods. But for some countries, UK being a big one, um, you know, services are even more important. I guess that's why, to some extent, you know, the, you know, the global economic indicators and particular performances, as we said, of US and China are so important. I think one reason, you know, going back to where to where we came in on this sort of this risk on or move towards perhaps a sort of a risk on comes down to the China GDP numbers we had out last week. They show great growth holding up there was it 6.4 percent uh that was stronger than expected and certainly you know we had a decent pmi out there as well and it's just giving that little bit of hope that well perhaps worries about china might have been somewhat overblown it remains to be seen of course as we all know one month or one swallow does not make it does not a summer make but well that's another direction exa- that's another example you know china's trying to stimulate its own domestic demand it's going to it's been trying to rely less on exports um how long can this go on is this a a fundamental shift in how people think of uh, global growth? Maybe, maybe. I think you know, one of the issues for China, I think some of the talk coming out at the weekend was that, well, look, perhaps our economy is not quite as weak as we thought. Therefore, we don't have to fiscally reflate as much as we previously you know, considered we'd need to. Um, so it remains to be seen at the moment, but I think it's, it's a very fair question. You know, we, we've been in a thankful zone of, of no Brexit talk for a couple of weeks. But let, let's I'd like the punishment. Go ahead, fill us I in. Can, I can almost hear all our listeners just tuning out as soon as you mention the magic world. Well, the good news about Brexit is there's not a lot to talk about at the moment. Uh, The UK Parliament, the House of Commons, um, that reopened after its Easter break, which means that cross-party talks will resume as of today. But in terms of where they left it just before Easter, um, I think as people are well aware, there is no sign of any kind of compromise coming out between a Conservative Party, the government and the opposition Labour Party. So it's still anyone's guess is what's going to happen. As things, things currently stand, just to remind people, the, you know, the end deadline is October the 31st. If there's nothing agreed by then, then the UK will fall out of the EU without a trade deal. Um, also, if we don't, uh, the UK doesn't agree to participate in the European elections in May, then we'll be forced out by June the 1st. Well, now May's coming right up. What are you guys going to do? 
Well, I think it's it's extremely hard, I think, to see. Basically, it's still the case that no one in the UK and indeed in Europe wants to see a no-deal Brexit. Um, so I think although the, the government over here does not see any point in being part of a European parliamentary elections, because in theory, in a matter of months' time, or perhaps a year or so time, we won't be part of the European Union, we're going to be forced to be part of it. So I think we all just simply say, well, OK, we'll continue to send, you know, MPs to the European Parliament because uh, if we don't do that and we're still, still part of the European Union, then the European Parliament doesn't have any uh, justification. Its, um, its constitution won't allow it to operate unless all members of the EU actually send across uh, members of Parliament. So it then looks like the October deadline is going to be the meaningful deadline. I think I think so. I mean, clearly, who knows with Brexit? It's anyone's guess. But I think at this stage, where financial markets are trading, they're working. Well, look, we've got six months now that we don't have to worry too much about Brexit before we get to the next cliff edge. And will sterling be going down now, or, or how will sterling be behaving? Well, it's a good question, because I, mean, I think you know, sterling is still basically right, what's going on with Brexit, and in terms of Brexit at the moment, because of the Easter recess and so on, there's nothing going on. And I mean, if you look at you know, the volatility in the pound, it's close, was it two years low, I think, now, because people simply don't know what to do with it. But and it's worth mentioning, talking about demand and so on, we had the UK retail sales figures um, out last week for the back end of the first quarter, and they were up 1.1% on the month. Now, that is a big number. And bear in mind, these are volumes, so they don't have inflation in there. This is actually you know, the number of items being bought. And that alone is going to add about 0.1 percentage point to first quarter GDP growth. Now, the B of E, the Bank of England, is still operating at the moment with a tightening bias. I mean, it can't do anything because of all the Brexit uncertainty. But it does kind of suggest that if we were to see somehow you know, a short-term favourable solution to Brexit, which the EU would accept, and the UK could leave the EU effectively when Whenever it wanted to with a deal, and the Bank of England might actually respond by putting interest rates up. So at the moment, a UK economy, notwithstanding all the Brexit uncertainty, which is supposed to be you know, tipping us down, down the proverbial pan, the UK economy actually appears to be holding up pretty well. Um, right. OK, let's quickly round this off before we talk for too long. Just in terms of central bank meetings this week, we'll have the Bank of Canada. That'll be tomorrow, Wednesday. Nothing is expected out of that. We'll also get the Bank of Japan meeting. They'll be concluding their meeting on Thursday this week. Again, no changes in policy there or keep an eye out, folks. They'll be updating their economic projections and chances are they're still going to suggest that they're not going to get close to this 2% inflation target. And just quickly sticking with Japan, um, so there may not be much volatility coming out of the BOJ meeting, but we should mention that Golden Week in Japan kicks mm. off uh, next week. Um, so exchanges should be closed there between April the 27th right through to May the 6th. And that's a reflection of the combination of the traditional holidays and the 1st of May accession of a new emperor. And that's going to make the longest market closure since the end of the Second World War. So liquidity out there will be in short supply. And for people who remember the last time we saw a similar sort of shortage or potential shortage was uh, the New Year holidays last year. And that's when we saw the so-called flash crash. Um, when Japan was shut for the last day of a new year break and we saw the Australian dollar and the Turkish lira absolutely dumped against the Japanese yen. So it may or may not happen in similar sort of a next week, but it's something to be alert to because yeah, it does offer the potential thin trading conditions, particularly with all this algorithmic trading happening now. Yeah, it does offer the opportunity for some of these currencies to move extremely violently. OK, um, well, I guess that's probably enough of the volatility there and indeed enough volatility from us. 
So um, on behalf of Mark and myself, thanks as always for listening. And we'll be back again next week. Bye for now.